This morning, we are going to continue our series entitled Christmas Prayers, and hopefully when you came in this morning, uh, you got another snowflake with a little clothespin clipped on it. Did everybody get one? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. If you didn't get a snowflake with a little uh, clip on it, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers are going to come to you. If you will, keep them up till they get one to you, and uh, while you hold your hands up, I'll give you some information. So last week, we gave you a snowflake, and we challenged you uh, to just to let your snowflake become your prayer card. Because we said our whole series this month entitled Christmas Prayers is really about how do we move from just having a wish list, right? Unfortunately, a lot of Christians have a wish list. You know, they just wish things would change, and they wish God would do this, and they wish this would happen, and they wish other people wouldn't do the things they're doing, and all these things that happen. And we spend a lot of time wishing and not enough time praying to see the change that we believe God wants to bring in our lives. And so this whole series is how do I move from a wish list mentality to a life of prayer that actually changes things so that I can begin to pray the change. That's what I want to learn how to do. I want to pray the change that I want to see happen in my life and in my world and in the people that I love. And so last week we began talking a little bit about what we call prophetic prayers, how the Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers, and we're going to revisit that real quickly this morning. Uh, and we just challenged you to just begin last week to write down on this little snowflake, your new little prayer card, just some prayer focuses, some things, some people, some things you're praying for. And then we challenge you to begin to just call them the things that God calls them, right? We recognized last week that God calls those things that do not exist as though they are, and that God gives us a name. We got a new name. How many of you glad you got a new name in Christ, right? You're not just a poor old pitiful sinner. You're a saint. You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You've been adopted. You are a child of God. Amen. And we got a brand new name, and we talked about how we should begin to prophesy through prayer that new identity that God has given us, and literally begin to call into existence those things that don't exist. And so we encourage you to keep this just as a prayer card and a prayer reminder uh, as you would just continue to pray and believe God to see things happen in your life because prayer changes things. Well, today what we want to do is something just a little bit different. I want to ask you if you would just to, if you would to write your first name in the center of that little prayer flake, that little prayer flake, that little snowflake. Uh, if you would, just write your first name, and there should be some pens in the back of the chairs if you need a pen. Write your name there. And what we're going to do today at the end of the service is at the end of the service, we're going to ask you to take your little snowflake and hang it up on our side curtains. And you can already see our 8 o'clock service has done that. And we're going to let you hang these little snowflakes up with your name on it. And every week, we're going to agree together because there's something the Bible calls a prayer of agreement. Jesus said it like this, if two on earth would touch and agree asking anything, it would be done for them. And last Sunday I had somebody come up to me after one of the services and he said, Pastor Keith, do you realize that a snowflake by itself is kind of a fragile little thing? But when a bunch of snowflakes come together, they can shut down a city. Right? And so the reality is, is there is power in agreement. And so what we're going to do every week, your little snowflake on the wall with your name on it is just going to represent your prayers that you're praying unto the Lord. And every week during our Sunday morning service, we're just going to take a time and we're just going to agree together that God's going to do what he said he would do. Amen? We're going to agree together that God's going to answer your prayers and we're going to come into agreement based on his word, his promise, his plan for your life that he's going to do what he said he would do. Amen? Because he is a good and he is a faithful father. And he loves us very, very 
very much. And so that's what we're going to do today. So I want you to go ahead and do something with me this morning. Uh, I want you just to go ahead and hold your snowflake up, and we're just going to start out this morning in prayer. So, Father, we lift our names and our prayer requests to you today, God. We thank you for every person represented here today. We thank you that these snowflakes are just representations of the fact that we are committing today to pray one for another, that we are agreeing together today. And so, God, I agree today. I come into agreement with every person in this place. I come into agreement with every prayer being prayed, Father, every petition being lifted. Father, we thank you that you are our healer and our deliverer, our redeemer and our rescuer. We thank you that you are our provider and you are our protector. And we just agree together today for the saving grace, the mighty power, and the transforming work of heaven to be manifested in the hearts and lives of your people. Father, we thank you that every soul will be saved, that every need will be met, that every body will be healed, that every marriage and every family will be restored. We declare today, God, that you will draw us together under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that through the power of prayer and agreement, our world will change for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning if you believe God changes things. Amen. All right, I want to give you one more assignment real quick. I want you to just take a second and look to your left and look to your right. Go ahead, look to your left. Look to your right. Maybe you know the person sitting next to you. Maybe you don't know the person sitting next to you. If you don't know them before you leave church today, you ought to introduce yourself. Okay, make you a brand new friend. And I want to challenge you to do something this week. This week, when you're praying over your prayer requests, and you're in your time of prayer and intercession before the Lord, and you're lifting your prayer needs to God, I want you just to remember the person sitting next to you. And maybe you don't know their name, but you know their face now. So go ahead and look at them really good. Don't make it weird or freaky, though. Just kind of look at them really good. And I want you just to imagine them, and maybe you know their name, and if you don't, I encourage you when church is over today, introduce yourself, find out what their name is. And while you're praying over your prayer request this week, just say a real simple prayer like this. Father, I agree with Danny. Now, you don't have to repeat after me, but that's good. That was really good. I agree with Danny, and Danny's right on the front row, so that's why I'm agreeing with him. So just a real simple prayer. God, I agree with Danny, and Lord, today as I'm praying over my prayer request, I ask you to answer his prayers, and I come into agreement with him that what you've said and what you've promised for his life will become a reality in Jesus' name. That simple of a prayer. It ain't got to be just like that. You hear the heart of it. So the heart is really simple. We're just going to agree together. So I want to challenge you this week as you pray to remember the person sitting next to you and just agree with them in prayer as you're praying. And every week as we come in here, we're going to see our little snowflakes, and we're going to be reminded that by ourselves we may not be that strong, but together we can change the world. Amen? We can change the world when we pray and agree together. All right, so let's revisit a couple thoughts real quick. We said, what are Christmas prayers? Christmas prayers are prayers that are scripted from the story of Christmas. We said we're going to look at the Christmas story and kind of pull out principles of prayer that will change our lives. So literally the scripture becomes the script of our prayers. Last week we said that Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers, right? They declare identity over activity. The Bible says, and they called him Jesus, the name given to him by the angels before he was even born. So they literally prophesied. They began to call him out what God called them. And, and I want you to understand something. One of the greatest challenges that happens when you move into a place of prophetic prayer and you begin to decree and declare what God says over what is literally happening in your life, your flesh wants to rise up. 
And when you're sick and you start declaring that you're healed, or when you're broke and you start declaring that you're blessed, your flesh wants to rise up and say, that's a lie, that's not true. That's a lie, that's not true. But how many of you understand that anytime you agree with God, you're telling the truth? God's word is true. Jesus said, thy word is truth. The Bible says, let God be true and let every man be a liar. And so we're not denying reality. We are declaring there is a greater reality called the reality of God that is a realm of faith and a realm of the spirit and a realm of the supernatural that trumps everything that happens in this natural world. And so when we begin to call out those things that are not as though they are, and we begin to identify, call out the identity over the activity of people, persons, and things in our lives, what we are doing is literally we are agreeing with God. We're not lying about what is. We are agreeing with God, decreeing what should be and what will be according to the promise of God spoken over our lives. And so I don't know about you, if I'm going to have to choose between agreeing with my circumstances, which always change, let me know your circumstances always change. Your physical condition is not the same today as it was yesterday. Your financial condition is not the same as it was today as it was yesterday. Your spiritual condition is not the same today as it was yesterday. Everything about your life temporally, circumstantially is constantly changing. So I have to decide, am I going to agree with my circumstances, which are never telling me the truth because they're always changing, or am I going to agree with God, which has brought the authority of the Word of God over my life, where God is true and every other man is a liar? Who am I going to agree with? That's what prophetic prayers do. Prophetic prayers are Christmas prayers that call out the identity, that call those things that are not as though they were, that create the desired future, your desired future, because God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And we recognize that it also that prophetic prayers are edifying, they exhort, they build up, and they comfort us, right? When we are in a time of prophetic prayer, we know we have been prophetically in prayer with God because we leave fired up, not discouraged. Because we know we've just changed the world because we have connected our hearts with God. Amen? So let's look at Luke chapter 2 and revisit our Christmas story today. The Bible says, and while they were there, speaking of Mary and Joseph, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a manger. And seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. So let's look at that next point on your outline. So Christmas prayers are not just prophetic prayers. Christmas prayers are prayers of praise. 
The Bible says that when they announced, when the angel announced to the shepherds that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had been born, that all the angels of heaven, the armies of heaven joined them, and with a loud triumphant voice, the Bible says, they began to praise the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Glory to God in the highest. And they began to praise God and shout the praises of the Lord. Let me just encourage you in something today. If you want to energize and electrify your prayers, begin with praise. If you want to energize and electrify your prayer life, begin with praise. Praise brings your prayer life to life. Amen? And one of the reasons many people struggle in cultivating a vibrant life of prayer is because they've never incorporated praise into their prayer life. And what I want us to see today and what the Holy Spirit wants us to see is that part of our Christmas prayers, part of having a life, that, a prayer life that changes things is recognizing that praise has to be a part of our prayer. And I've recognized in my own personal life, it's the first place to begin. I always begin my time of prayer with a time of praise, celebrating and declaring who God is. And let me tell you why I do that. Look at that last part of that first point. We praise God because, number one, He's worthy of praise. How many know He's worthy of praise today? He's worthy of our greatest praise. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our celebration. He's worthy of radical praise. He's worthy of intimate worship. He's worthy of your quiet honor, and He's worthy of your exuberant celebration. He is worthy of our praise. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says this, You are worthy, O Lord. To receive the glory, the honor, and the power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelations 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy, speaking of Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your own blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Right, we, we, Christmas prayers are prayers of praise. Why? Because we begin our prayer time with a time of praise because God is worthy of praise. We recognize that He is worthy. And in the Revelations, John the Revelator gives us two insights into why God is worthy of praise. Number one, in verse chapter four, he says, You are worthy, God, of all glory and honor and power and praise because you created everything and by your will they exist. Think about it like this God created us and then God sustains us. He is worthy of praise because he's the creator. How many know the created thing ought to praise the creator? Amen? He is worthy of praise because you wouldn't be here without him. You were created in the image and likeness of God, and everything that exists, every good and every perfect gift comes from him. He is our creator, but not only is he our creator, but he is our sustainer. He holds everything to get together by the power of his word and through the power and authority of his will. Think about that. God sustains us. Not only did he create us, but he sustained us. It is a miracle that we as human beings have not already destroyed ourselves. Let me bring it home even a little deeper. God not only sustains us from us, God sustains you from you. Not only is it a miracle that humanity hadn't destroyed itself, it's a miracle that you're not dead today. Your choices, your decisions, your actions that should have took you out and 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 here you are today. 
God is worthy of praise not only because he created us, but he's worthy of praise because he sustains us. He holds us together. He carries us through our own problems and our own difficulties, and he sustains us even from ourselves. And then he goes on in Revelations chapter 5, and he says, you are worthy of all glory and honor and power and praise God because you redeemed us and purchased us with your own blood. He created us, he sustains us, and then he redeemed us and brought us back into the favor and the fellowship of the Father through the shedding of his own blood. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. And when you think about that, Christmas prayers are prayers of praise. They just begin with a revelation and a declaration that says, God, you're worthy. And there's something powerful that happens in your prayer life when you begin your time of prayer with a declaration and a celebration of the fact that, God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy of my praise. Now, praise does a lot of things. Let's look at that next point. I want you to see this. Praise does a lot of things into our lives, and it, and it creates life-changing prayer. Because praise, look at that next point, praise reminds us of who he is and what he has done. Praise reminds us of who he is and what he has done. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Before I read it, let me give you a backdrop real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's speaking to a generation of people that like no other generation that has ever lived on planet earth, they saw the power of God displayed like no other generation. They saw the ten plagues of Egypt, right? They saw, they saw the Nile turn to blood. They saw the frogs invade the Egyptians. They saw the gnats and the flies and the locusts. They saw the blood over the doorposts of their house and all the Egyptian firstborn sons dying when the death angel came through. They saw it all. They walked through the Red Sea as it parted from left to right and they walked across on dry land. They saw the cloud by day and they saw the fire by night. They ate manna that rained down out of heaven and when they were hungry for meat, they saw the quail blow in knee deep, the Bible says, and they ate it so much till it ran out their nostrils. They saw the power of God like no other generation. But look at Deuteronomy 4 because Moses gives them a warning. He says, but watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Be careful never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Don't let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. Be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. Never forget. Moses said never forget. Isn't it amazing how we remember the pain and we forget the provision? Isn't it amazing how we remember the struggle and we forget the promise? Isn't it amazing in spite of all the things that God has done that sometimes we can get in the midst of our problem, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our circumstances, and we feel like we are totally helpless and without hope, all the while if we would just remember yesterday. (laughs) 
If we just remember what God did last week, if we just remember what God did last month, if we just remember what God did last year, I mean, let's be honest, in this room here today, if God never performed another miracle, if God never answered another prayer, we could spend the rest of our lives praising Him for what He has already done. Come on. And so the power of praise is this. When I praise God, you know what praise does? Praise reminds me. It reminds me of who He is. He is worthy. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my healer. He's my redeemer. He's my rescuer. He's my provider. He's the lifter of my head. He's the encourager of my soul. He's my comforter. He's my best friend. He's my father. He's my shepherd. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none like Him. And when I praise Him, guess what? I remember. I remember that. Because in the midst of my problem and in the midst of my struggle and in the midst of my pain, I tend to forget who He is, and I tend to forget what He has already done. I was talking with a lady in our church this week, and this week she was... uh, she was scammed through an internet phone scam, lost $2,300. And when it happened, she, she told me on Friday, she said, I was devastated. But when I saw her on Friday, she was smiling from ear to ear. She hugged my neck. She was rejoicing. She was celebrating the faithfulness of God. And as I began to talk to her, this is what she said. She said, man, when it happened, she said, I hung up the phone. I realized what has happened. And I started doing this, talking to the police, talking to the FBI. I mean, this was a crazy thing. She said, all this stuff's going on. She said, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. And I'm just overwhelmed. And she said, and then I remembered. This is what she said. And then I remembered that my God owns it all. She said, and then I remembered that he's never forsaken me, and he's never left me, and I've never went without. She said, and then I remembered how good of a father he really is. And she said, when I started remembering all that, she said, I thought, how can I be sad? How can I be mad? How can I not be glad? Because if God be for me, then who can be against me. And that was her testimony. I'm sitting there talking to her. I'm thinking, I wish you knew what I was preaching on Sunday. This is so good. And I asked her this morning, I said, can I share your story? And she said, yes, please do. All because she remembered who God was and what God had already done in her life. See, because what happens when you remember When you remember what he has done, it impregnates you with expectation for what he's going to do. When you remember what he has done, it impregnates you with an expectation of what he's going to do. Because here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He hadn't changed. So if he did it yesterday, he'll do it today. And if he does it today, he'll do it tomorrow. And if he did it yesterday, he'll do it today. And if he does it today, he'll do it tomorrow. Why? Because he's the same. 
He hasn't changed. His faithfulness and his goodness endure to all generations. And the reason praise is so significant is because praise reminds us of who he is and of what he's done. Psalms 103, I love what David said. David sums this whole thought up in Psalms 103. He says, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Look at verse 2. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And may I never forget the good things he does for me. See, David recognized, David recognized that it was his praise that would keep him from forgetting all the good things that God had done. And that through his daily praise, as he would praise God, as he would rehearse, and as he would declare the good things that God had done, and the glorious things of who God was and is in his life, amazing things would begin to happen. And then he begins to remember some of the good things. Look what he says, verse 3. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. And my youth is renewed like the eagle. I'm going to praise God. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Why? Because he heals all my diseases. He forgives all my sins. He redeems me from destruction. He crowns me with loving kindness, right? He is a good, good father, and he gives me every good and every perfect gift, and he renews me like an eagle and makes me strong every single day. Amen? Look at that next point. Praise not only reminds us of who he is and what he's done, but praise invites his presence and releases the spirit of prophecy. We're going to talk about prophecy a little bit more today. Psalms 22 verse 3 says this, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. How many know God doesn't just inhabit the praises of Israel? God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? And the word inhabits literally means to come down and be seated or enthroned upon. I want you to see something today. Praise invites the presence of God into your life. See, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. But how many of you know there's this thing called the manifest presence of God, where God just shows up right there in the room, right? God shows up and your goosebumps get goosebumps, right? There is the manifest presence of God. And guess what God does? God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we praise him, we invite him into the circumstances and situation of our life. When we praise him in the storm and we praise him in the pain and we praise him in the problem, we invite God to be enthroned on the throne of our heart in the circumstances and situations of our life. And it changes everything. The presence of God, the manifest presence of God changes every circumstance because when the light shows up, the darkness has to flee. When the perfect love of God manifests in your heart, fear has no place in your soul, right? When the glory of who he is shines upon your heart, all of a sudden there's a radiant glow that begins to fill your heart and your life. And here's what's awesome about the presence of God. When God shows up, there's this overwhelming awareness that even though you don't know how it's going to work out. You just know that it is. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> Where you were praising God in the middle of your storm and all of a sudden the presence of God manifested in that place and you knew he was there and you didn't know what was going to happen and you didn't know how it was going to happen. All you knew is that everything was going to be all right because daddy God's here. <laughs> and when God shows up, things automatically have to change. Let me tell you something else that's powerful about that element of praise inviting his presence. Praise, this is huge, praise keeps us from getting stuck 
in the storm. Now, now this is interesting because the reality is, is that many of us are driven to prayer because of the storm. I mean, let's just be honest, right? It's the storms and the problems and the pain of life that many times drives us to a place of prayer. And it brings us to that place where we're now crying out to God for His intervention, for His help, for His grace, for whatever it is we might need. It is, it is the storm that drives us to that place of prayer. But here's what I want you to see because this is important. The storm or the problem can drive you to the place of prayer, but you can't pray the problem. The problem can drive you to prayer, but you can't pray the problem. How many know that you don't need to tell God how big your problem is? You need to tell your problem how big your God is. And if you go to God and just pray the problem and tell God how bad it is and tell God how hard it is and tell God how difficult it is and tell God how sick you are and tell God how nobody else cares about you and tell God how nothing's ever going to work and I don't, nothing ever works out in my favor and this is just so bad and nobody even cares and nobody even looking and Lord, this is awful and I can't believe it's got this bad and why would you let it get this bad? Lord, I can't believe you're doing this to me because this is really bad. How many know that if you're praying the problem, nothing changes? Because we know this, we talk about this a lot at Liberty, I just want to say it again today. God does not respond to your need, God responds to your faith. It's not your need that moves God, it is your faith that moves God to meet your need. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God because they that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God is not moved by your need, God is moved by your faith that says, God, I believe you'll meet my need. And so the problem drives us to prayer, but we don't pray the problem. Because if I pray the problem, guess what will happen? I'll get stuck in the storm. How many of you notice that negative people tend to prolong their problems? And people of praise find a back door out. <laughs> How many know the Bible says there's a way of escape out of every temptation? God makes a way of escape. There's a back door to come out of that storm. Now, I understand that storms have seasons, and sometimes we walk through the season of the storm, but I also understand that if I pray the problem, I'll prolong the storm. If I praise God in the midst of the storm, I'll find a back door out. There will be a way of escape that God will open up for me to come out from under the pain and the pressure that I'm feeling to come out on the other side with the victory that he has for me. But if I pray the problem, I'll prolong it and I'll get stuck in the storm. And all of us have seen and know people that are still praying the problem that they encountered 30 years ago. And they're stuck in the storm. They're stuck in the storm because they consistently pray the problem instead of praise the God that solves the problem and brings resolution and escape and an end to every storm. There is an end to every storm, amen? And God gives us grace and it is through prayer and praise that we break out of the storms, amen? Now look at that last part. Praise invites his presence, but it also releases the spirit of prophecy. Revelations 19.10. John the Revelator said, And I fell at his feet to worship him. 
But he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So worship God. And look what he says here, the last part of Revelation 19.10. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The word testify, the testimony of Jesus, that word testimony literally means to come before a judge and testify. And how many of you understand that if you testify, you are called to testify of what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have experienced? If you're not an eyewitness, you're not a credible witness, right? Because testimony has to be first place. If I'm not an eyewitness, if I haven't seen it, if I haven't heard it, if I haven't experienced myself, then I am not a valuable witness because I can't testify about something I haven't seen, something I haven't heard, or something I haven't personally experienced. And so listen to what the scripture says. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What happens when I begin to testify to declare what God has done? I've seen him do this. I've heard him say this. I've experienced this. When I begin to testify about what he has done, guess what happens? Automatically, I begin to prophesy about what he's going to do. Right? When you testify that he healed your body, you'll start prophesying that he's going to heal you again. When you testify that he met your needs, you'll start prophesying he's going to meet it again. When you testify that he restored your family, you'll start prophesying that he's going to continue to restore and redeem and rescue. Why? Because the spirit of testimony is the spirit of prophecy. And the more we praise him for what he has done, the more we prophesy what he's going to do. I want to say it again. If you want to energize and electrify your prayers, begin your prayer with praise and begin to testify of what he has done so you can then in return begin to prophesy what he is going to do. Amen? Look at our last point. I want you to see this. Praise eradicates fear, cultivates faith, and produces corresponding action. I love the story in Luke 2 that we read today. I'm just going to hit a couple of the verses. In verse 9 of Luke 2, the Bible says, When the angel appeared to the shepherds, they were terrified. Verse 10, the angel says, Don't be afraid because I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. In verse 13, the Bible says, The armies of heaven joined them, and they praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And in verse 15, the Bible says, And when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. Verse 16 says, They hurried to the village. And verse 17 says, They told everyone what had happened. Here's the shepherds in the field, and the angel shows up, and they're afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And all of a sudden, this awesome praise service breaks out, and the armies of heaven show up, and they begin to praise and celebrate God. Immediately, the Bible says, when the angels returned to heaven, something happened. Fear was eradicated. They were no longer afraid. Let me tell you what praise does. Praise invites the presence of God, and when God shows up, fear has to leave. When God shows up, fear has to leave. When you praise Him, it invites His presence. And the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. How many know the Bible says God is love? He is the purest expression of perfect love. And when God manifests Himself in His love in your heart, guess what happens? Fear leaves. And not only does fear leave, faith comes. 
Faith comes, and all of a sudden, you get filled with faith. You begin to prophesy. You begin to declare. You begin to decree that God's going to do what He said He would do because He's already done it a million times, and He's going to do it one more time, and one more time, and one more time, and one more time, and one more time. God's going to keep showing up and showing out because He is faithful, and He hasn't changed. It eradicates fear. It cultivates faith. And then I love this last part. It creates a corresponding action. The Bible says, they said, let us go and see this thing that God has revealed to us. And they hurried to the village. And then when they saw Jesus and Mary and Joseph, the Bible says they left there and they went and told everyone what God had said and what God had done. See, see this is what I've learned about prayer. Most of us pray about things that matter to us, right? Most of us spend very little time praying about things we don't know, because we don't know. But most of us spend a whole lot of time praying about the things that we care about. And the more you care about it, guess what? The more you'll pray about it. See, I'll pray for my kids more than I'll pray for your kids, and you'll pray for your kids more than you'll pray for my kids. And it's not that I don't love your kids, and it's not that you don't love my kids. I just love them more. (laughs) And you love yours more, right? Because the more you care about something, the more you pray for something. So here's, this is huge. I want you to see this. So we pray about things that are usually very personally connected to us. Our family, our finances, our church, our community, our nation. We're praying about things that are personally connected to us. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to recognize that many people have this idea that somehow prayer is us telling God what we need Him to do and then stepping back while God does the work. But I don't know if you've recognized this, but I've recognized that most of the time God wants me to be a part of the solution. Because here's what God needs. Let me tell you, this is huge. Here's what God needs to work in your family. God needs a willing vessel. Here's what God needs to work in your finances. God needs a willing vessel. Here's what God needs to work in your church. God needs a willing vessel. Here's what God needs to work in your community. God needs a willing vessel. God doesn't need people that are just going to pray about it. God needs people that are going to act on the prayers they've been praying. Every first Friday of the month, we have the mayor's prayer breakfast. And every first Friday of the month, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Seven o'clock is the end of my quiet time. From 5.30 usually to about 7.30, I'm at the feet of Jesus. And at seven, it's really good. And to get there at 7, i got to leave at 6.45, which means I'm losing 45 minutes of my personal time with Jesus Christ. And I love my personal time with Jesus Christ. And every time that I sit there in my quiet time, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm just not going to go today because I'm really enjoying spending time with you. He rebukes me. He says, Keith, aren't you praying for this community? Aren't you praying for unity in this community? Aren't you praying for the mayor and for Arab to make godly decisions? Aren't you praying for the leaders of this community? Aren't you praying for the churches in this community? Aren't you praying for the people in this community? How dare you 
pray about it and not have corresponding action that supports the very thing you're praying about. So the truth is, some of us either need to stop praying or start moving in the direction of our prayers. Because Christmas prayers are prayers of praise, and prayers of praise eradicate fear, fill us with faith, and produce a corresponding action that says, I want to be a part of the solution. I want you just to bow your heads today. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you you don't know Jesus in a real personal way. And maybe you know about him, but you know you don't know him. And today you want to change that. See, the celebration of Christmas is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him as their Lord and their Savior would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came, was born, lived, and died, and rose again so he could give you a gift. It's called the gift of eternal life. The Bible says if you die without Christ, you'll spend eternity in a place called hell separated from God. But if you accept the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus and make him your Lord and your Savior, then you'll spend forever and ever in the glories of heaven experiencing the wonder that God has for you. But it's a gift, and like every gift, you have to receive it, you have to open it, and you have to receive it. And if that's here, if that's you today, you say, today I want to receive that gift, I want to challenge you to do something very simple and very powerful. I want to ask you right now just to stand to your feet. You're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to receive that gift of eternal life through Jesus. I've never truly trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. And I want to do that today. I want to receive the greatest gift a person can receive, the gift of eternal life. If that's you, just stand right now. Just a simple act of faith. Just stand to your feet. Father, I thank you today for every person that's here this morning. And Lord, today we just close by agreeing together that we are a people of prayer. And God, I thank you today for the power of praise, Lord, that your presence is here. You are in this place. And Lord, that anywhere that we go and we praise you, you will show up and you will show out because you're a good, good Father and you inhabit the praises of your people. Fill our mouths with praise and fill our hearts with prophetic utterance to declare and decree your word and your will over our lives. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.